Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Footy Prime, the podcast with Danny the Manny Dicchio. Greg has a third leg forest and Charmin, Jimmy Charmin. Today, we welcome... Benoit Chiru, TFC's legendary own. For Dan Wong, the producer extraordinaire, and myself, Jeff Cole, let's get it on. Was that Manny, Danny, and he's got a third leg forest? Was that what you said there? Well, I just go by what I know. I got, and I'm Jimmy. <laughs> I feel let down here. Like, Jesus. Oh, no, you're Charmin. I, there must be, Charmin, there must be a Jimmy Charmin. <clears throat> I was happy with mine. Yeah, I bet you were. A lot of a lot of ladies have said that too. <laughs> Welcome well, to Free Prime the Podcast. We're back in numbers, and it should be a really fun one today. A great guest in a few minutes' time. Uh, Benoit Cheru, one of Toronto FC's legends, uh, a championship winner, and a man who uh when he came on the field for TFC, the entire stadium went, Oh, thank Christ. Uh, <laughs> Someone who's calm and collected and can actually string a pass together. Uh, that was that was Benoit when he came on the field for TFC. Uh, we'll get to a lot with him very shortly. But, fellas, um, let's begin by getting your thoughts on what has been a great weekend, considering the, uh, the situation around the world. The German Bundesliga is back. Empty stadiums, sterilized balls. Which I'm assuming means the football's in the field. I don't know. I can't guarantee that. Uh, masks on the sidelines, social distancing, and as I said, no fans in the stadiums. Uh, did you enjoy it, fellas? Was it weird? Was it, was it what you thought it might be? It reminded me of playing for the Canadian national team. <laughs> no, no, no fans in the stands? Yeah, there was actually more in the stands today than there were back in the day. Uh, you're a cruel man, Greg. Cruel man. <laughs> no, no, you know what? I did enjoy it. It was it was great watching anything, and uh, obviously today Bayern Munich uh, a little rusty, but uh, you know showing their class. And it was like watching a practice match with lots of quality. Except for you, even in Berlin, I, I thought they were they were decent. They held on. They huffed and puffed, but uh, they lacked a, a lot of quality in the final third. Eh, Deej? Yeah. I felt sorry for them a little bit because they defended pretty well, but um, I think Bayern were just in kind of gear three at, at the time and just pushing on. But it was strange for me. It was weird. There's a lot of a lot of weird stuff going on at the moment. I, I have no idea with certain stuff why substitutes have to sit ten yards apart, why players have to wear masks. 
uh, going out for the warm up. Why? It's called COVID nineteen, Deech. No, no. But I'm going to explain why. Why do players have to separate themselves when they score a goal from ten yards away? But from a corner kick, they're fucking elbowing each other and grappling each other. It doesn't make sense to me. So you're either going full out. The players have all been tested. They're all fine. So let them go full out. If they score a goal, let them celebrate. I know. You know what? Fight, you watch, uh, yesterday, let them on, fight. On. If the substitutes want to sit next to each other, let them sit next to each other. On, on Saturday, um, it was weird because certain games, I think the Freiburg game, they were celebrating like normal. There, there was no difference. But then the other games, they were having that, that distancing. So some teams, it's not like a strict order, apparently. It's just like a, a suggestion. You know, we don't recommend that you, you celebrate as usual. But I agree with you. You're right. Corners, um, you know, it's football. That There's tackles being, you know, thrown in there. Nothing changes. There's, there's body-to-body contact continuously. There's going to be saliva and spit everywhere. It's football. Um, what difference does it make? But uh, I, I guess they'll, they'll grow into it. And every league right now is watching this and saying this could be the blueprint for the very the near future. Do you, do you yeah. think this can work elsewhere? Is it going to work elsewhere? Is this well, what I think you're doing? right, Charms, but I think the bigger picture is, isn't what happens on the football field or, or any other sporting event for that matter like this is going to be whether there's a second wave or, you know, as things get relaxed, relaxed in the communities because we're already seeing in, in Canada, United States for sure, they're just saying, fuck with it, let's go. You know, we're going to ride this thing out. And if there is a big second wave, it'll be shut down. <laughs> regardless of what happens. But yes, other leagues will be looking at that for the time being, that if uh, things go well and there isn't a, a massive second wave, that we can move on to some normality, as, including football. And, and Dean, shall I say this, you know, despite there not being these, these six, seven-week pre-seasons which you were demanding, uh, the play looked half-decent, didn't you think? No. No, <laughs> no? come on. You, oh, yeah, but you wanted two months pre-season, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, For a guy who hated preseason, you're like, no, exactly. I hate preseason. Benoit would tell you I hated preseason. Benoit hated preseason as well. Players hate preseason, but you cannot go into a full season or like the finish of the season with not playing against any opposition. So I don't know. It's it's still bizarre to me. Uh, I still think maybe they've they've come back a little bit too early. I'm happy that football is back on. Don't get me wrong, but. I still feel that there's a lot of stuff that, that is going to be happening, whether it be injuries, long-term injuries I'm talking about, not just uh, muscle injuries that are going to keep you out for two weeks. Uh, I think there's going to be lots of form. Some players are going to get found out or that they're not back at full fitness and maybe they're up at the end of the year with their contract and they've shown their cards and yeah. the owners are going now, well, maybe this fella's not worth a <clears throat> contract. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, there's rules in England as well with the Premier League, and you just spoke about spitting and stuff like that. They're talking about when you make a slide tackle to turn your face the other way, <laughs> you're not in. Come on, distance. Really? Like that's come ridiculous. On. Who even thinks this shit? That, that's <laughs> so much crap going on. Just let the game be played how it should be played. Test the players. Make sure it's all clean. You've done all that stuff off the field, but when they go on the field. Once they go onto the pitch, over the white line, it's done. It's normal football. Five subs as well in Germany. Um, so you saw, I think, obviously more tactical subs even at half time. If this continues, five subs, 
in football games. Will you see more subs at halftime? Will being subbed off at halftime be less embarrassing than perhaps it has been? What, staying with the five substitutes, you mean? Yeah, at least in the short term anyway, going forward. Oh, I think they will do for the short term. I think it's, it's a good idea. I, I think, you know, Deitch is right about injuries there. So it, the, you have to look at the authorities and think that FIFA, UEFA, whoever it is, are doing whatever they can to protect the players. And by giving an extra substitution or two, uh, they would certainly be helping in that category. The, the play today was certainly rusty, like I said, but and there were some late challenges, kind of lunging in challenges, I thought were maybe down to rust that could cause injury. Uh, but then on the other hand, uh, some of the Berlin players, I don't know, were up to the standard. Anyway. It'd be interesting to hear as well, like what Benoit says about about France and what they're, they're, they're seeing over there because obviously Germany is very close to them as well. They've gone ahead with their league. Um, but to hear the different reactions in France as well, like from not only the players, the staff, but also the federation, the fans, what they feel. Yeah, well, let's bring, bring on Benoit now. Benoit, Cheru, former Lille, Auxerre, Marseille, and of course, Toronto. FC, a four-time French Cup champion, a Ligue 1 champion, and of course, an MLS Cup champion. Benoit, welcome to Footy Prime. Thanks so much for joining us from France. Um, let me ask you this. Football was cancelled in France. Um, has that been generally accepted by the football fans? Or, you know, watching Germany this weekend, is that is that painful for French football fans? Of course, it's painful, but it's a kind of example for... Uh... Football, soccer in Europe, uh, we're all watching what's going on in, uh, in Germany. But like everybody say, uh, says, just said, um, uh, this football is different uh, from uh, what we expect from, uh, from the game because the game seems different because of these uh, rules and stuff. And I think the, the good decision uh, has been made by a French government to say, okay, we stop uh, the French league now until the uh, end of August. And I feel like uh, I'm more comfortable with that uh, decision uh, regarding what's going on in, in Germany. Uh, you, you guys said that maybe if something won't happen uh, in a couple of days or weeks, the demand can as well. So risk have been taken uh, We'll see, we'll see, but uh, it's it's very new for all of us, and we have to figure it out now. I know, following uh, you know other leagues, other countries right now, there's a concern that when football returns, say in England, it will look very different. As far as some clubs won't make it through this, they're going to fall, go bankrupt, whatever it is. Will French football look different? Do you think once it returns uh, later this year? It's all about uh, TV rights. Uh, uh, know, uh, t- TV rights, yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, that being one of them. This is the big deal because uh, TV uh, in France uh, didn't want to pay the all amount they have to pay because uh, they paid for 38 games. Uh, I mean, 38 days uh, with uh, 10 games uh, each uh, each days. Uh, so they had only uh, 29 or 30, I think. So TV said, uh, okay, uh, we don't have all the game we have paid for, so we don't pay for the all amount we we should. So um, the league um, uh, have the authorization by the government to have like a, a mortgage to help the clubs 
to pay the, the players, people working for the clubs now until uh, uh, football uh, get back uh, in uh, August. So the league have done uh, a lot uh, for French uh, clubs uh, to be able to to go through this uh, this uh, period with very uh, difficult. How about the uh, lower divisions, Benoit? Uh, we know it in the UK and England and uh, in Scotland that the lower division clubs that rely on gates as opposed to TV rights, how are they doing in France? And is there any government support for football at the lower divisions? Yes, that kind of same stuff as for uh, first division and second division. And then the third division is not a uh, full professional. Uh, it's half professional, so uh, the league helps uh, the third division as well, but it's difficult for uh, all the clubs uh, in France. Yeah. Benoit, so uh, you live in Paris at the moment, okay? Um, an interesting story with PSG because they have been given the championship by the federation because the league has been cancelled. But they've also said that they still want to play in the Champions League. Now, what is the process with that? Are they still training at the moment? Are they going to play their games in, obviously, a different part of France or in another country? I don't know if you have any information you can tell us. No, the big deal so far uh, was uh, getting back people, uh, players, uh, like uh, Neymar, uh, Thiago Silva, who've been in, uh, in Brazil to do the lockdown uh, with their family in their country. Okay. So the big deal for PSG was to get this this guy uh, back uh, in France to the training ground, training facilities. But uh, the process is very difficult. They can train only four or five players each day. Um, no meeting uh, between uh, these guys. So they, they haven't started uh, yet um, uh, collective uh, training now, but we, they are waiting for the, the date as well uh, for the, the Champions League game. So okay. a lot of uh, confusion about uh, about that. Even hey, for Benoit, PSG. talking about the actual system in France, what's really interesting is that in France, you guys create amazing players. It's a revolving door of talent. Um, why is it that France is so strong in those areas and they export some of the very best players in the world as opposed to some other European countries? Like my, England. <laughs> yeah, my opinion is uh, we have a lot of good coaches uh, in young, uh, in young at young, young age, uh, even in smaller clubs. I think, uh, uh, Ditch, uh, you've seen uh, how we work in, in France uh, at the French uh, Football Federation, and um, yeah, the courses as well for uh, for uh, coaches are, are very good, uh, and I feel like like a lot of. Um, Players start uh, in the street as well, uh, which is uh, very important to develop uh, a lot of skills uh, in terms of technique and all this stuff. And as it's not the, the biggest league as well, uh, French clubs need to produce a lot of young players to sell it, to sell them, sorry, uh, to, to make money because the TV rights are not as good as, uh, as big as in England or Germany or Spain. So this is the way for the clubs to, to produce money as well. And Clairefontaine, I guess, um, became the blueprint for, for many nations, how to develop young talent. And it's just been a conveyor belt for years now. But, you know, you mentioned how 
teams need to develop young French talents. But then you have a team like PSG, for example, who who enjoy the riches of the, the state of Qatar and, and since 2011 have really dominated French football. Um, it's obviously put a face on French football globally, but is it good for French football, do you think, the PSG model and, and what they've done? I think it's good for uh, for France, for the, for the football in France, that uh, PSG became uh, one of the biggest clubs in Europe now. They have a lot of money to buy uh, players like Mbappé, like uh, Neymar. But they produce as well a lot of young and good players. Uh, they sold, they've sold last summer uh, window market uh, for about 80 million euros. Uh, young players uh, who've, who've been to Monaco, in Germany, in Leipzig, Dortmund. So the, um, the PSG Academy is really good as well. Uh, the team is too good to have young players from the academy right now in the first team in PSG. But They had uh, like uh, Rabiot, who played now for uh, Juventus, uh, Kim Pembe as well. And I think uh, PSG uh, is very important for, uh, for the football uh, in France because they have a lot of money, but they work well as well. Going back to, to the actual development of younger players as well. And as part of my EFCL course, which the MLS uh, put on uh, a coaching course for coaches within the academies in MLS. And our headquarters was the federation in Clairefontaine. And to see the, the work that, that coaches, they don't even call coaches coaches in, in France, they call them formateurs. You're basically a, a teacher, a person that's trying to guide a younger player through certain scenarios and situations, whether it be on the field, even off the field, mentally, cognitively. And it was just a, a totally different way of coaching that I was so, so fortunate to be a part of because I was brought up in the old English way of we're going to shout at you as much as possible and try to get the best out of you. We're going to use that scare tactic that we talk about in England. But in France, it was a total uh, new methodology in the way they taught their younger players. And, and Ben was right. There were a lot of fantastic coaches that have either played the game over there or they've studied the game for a long, long time. And they're, they're very interested in the game. They're invested in the game. They're invested in youth as well. And that's the big part for me. They have a lot of coaches that are invested in trying to develop younger players. They don't, they're not looking at their career of, or I want to be in the first team, or I want to be in the national team next year. They're invested in that group of players or that age group for a long period of time. And they, they've developed, I think France is probably the number one export of players throughout the world. And you can bring Brazil in that, but Brazil send players everywhere. But if you're looking at where French players are going in Europe and to what clubs they are going, they're probably the number one export. And on the counter to that as well, And Benoit will, will vouch for me. In and around Paris and Marseille as well, they have these small cities where they're underprivileged areas and they are still playing a lot of street football. And that's something you don't see in a lot of big countries anymore. Even in England, uh, Italy, I've speak to my family over there. You don't see a lot of kids playing football in the street. But in these small areas now, whether they're immigrant areas or areas from low-income families where they've got a ball and they're playing on the concrete field with, like... Yeah. Was it Marez? Marez uh, was a street player, wasn't he? Marez. But Benoit grew up with a lot of those guys as well that came through 
either those street football areas and they've developed into <laughs> and sometimes it's tough for them guys because all they want to do is control the ball and play with the ball all the time and to put them in a team setting is very very difficult so it's a mental aspect then but I, I have a lot, a lot of adulation for what they're doing in France and they will continue to do it in France. And I think, I think being in England last year at St. George's, they're trying to go along the similar lines of bringing small-sided games in at younger age groups and not too much coaching, a lot of let them play, let them, uh, let's guide them into certain scenarios and situations and let them figure it out as youngsters. And that's why we're seeing a steady influx of younger players coming through in England as well now. Well, you guys both work in the youth system here in, in Canada, and Danny, you're still well involved with it with Toronto FC. What are the challenges, and how can Canada get to the next step? Forget about getting to the level of the French, but what do you guys think about getting us to a level where we can compete at least to, you know, strongly in CONCACAF on a regular basis? You want to ask first, Benoit? <laughs> oh, go on, uh, Danny. For me, it's, it's all about competition, Craig, and how much the federation is willing to spend on their youth. And for me, like if you want to develop players and put them in situations or games or experience where you're not just picking a team and throwing them into a tournament and hoping for the best, you have to prepare that age group or that team for uh, two to three years against good opposition. There's no point just bringing a team of under-16 Canada international players together for one week of training and then sending them into CONCACAF tournaments, Greg, and hoping they compete against Mexico or the U.S. We've had 20 games against stellar opposition for two years. Well, you're absolutely right, Danny, but it comes down for the Canadian Soccer Association. It comes down to finances. They haven't got the money. Mm-hmm. And where does the money come from? to be able to do that on a regular basis when they watch the southern our southern neighbors, the United States, just putting all this money, lots of corporate backing. Adidas puts money into programs, and they developed. And the guys are together months. Like Nick Dazovich has his under-20 Canadian team back in the day. They show up at a tournament five days before. Meanwhile, the U.S. have been boarding together for six months preparing for the same tournament. What yeah. chance have we got? Oh. Well, it's also, you know, I mean, listen, France is a football culture. We know it's been around for a long, long time, right? It's still, it's still in its infancy in Canada, and it's frustrating. We all know that. But, you know, this, it's baby steps. Um, Benoit, you look at the current French team, and we, we know there's great young talent. You know, Mbappe just is the one that stands out amongst all others. Uh, such a, He's a kid still, really. And he's going to be arguably the best player in world football very, very soon. But beneath him, is there another wave of very young, great French talent coming through? Is this current team going to be infused by, by Euro next year with yet more young talent? Yes, uh, I think, like I said, uh, in France, a lot of clubs need to produce a lot of uh, talent, a lot of players to, to sell them in uh, bigger uh, clubs, bigger leagues, because um, they need it to, to survive. So the way they, they produce uh, young players is uh, very important and a lot of young players are coming as well uh, uh, behind uh, Mbappé. Uh, even uh, if I feel like uh, we have only one Mbappé for uh, three or four decades, maybe. But uh, we have a lot of uh, good players. Uh, I think uh, the French League is one of the youngest leagues in, uh, in Europe because of that, because uh, they cannot... Uh, 
pay uh, players as much as uh, they uh, they get paid in Germany, in uh, Spain, or in uh, England. So they have to to sell them, and the, the teams are very young. Yeah. So we have a lot of young young players coming. Frightening for most nations because I think France would have been the favourites at Euro this year, and likely will be next year, and still great players coming through. Um, France also develops great coaches. We, we've known that for, for a long time. And if I look back at your career, a decade ago, you're a French champion at Marseille under Didier Deschamps. Uh, you know, obviously, he's a legend as a footballer and as a coach now. What was he like to, to play under on a day-to-day basis? Uh, I felt lucky to have uh, Didier Deschamps as a, as a coach for three years. Three seasons, we won the, the French League with, uh, with this coach. Uh, he has won uh, everything in his career as a player and uh, as a as a coach as well. He's very pragmatic. Uh, he always uh, wants to win, and uh, he doesn't have any uh, uh, tight idea about uh, the way uh, he wants um, his team to play. Uh, he's not uh, feeling uh, more comfortable about four four two or four three three. It depends on the players uh, he, he has. And uh, and the the opposition as well, the team uh, in front of us. So yes, he's very pragmatic. I think he's his uh, uh, best quality, and uh, he never uh, he never quits. He never give up, uh, which is a, a great quality for a coach. And he give he gave us a lot of uh, energy and uh, confidence as well to um, to perform. You know, it must have been an amazing time for you at that uh, at that time with Marseille, Benoit. And, and then as your career after that, you moved on eventually to Toronto FC. And what a difference, obviously, a team that's known throughout the world, uh, winning championships at the top end of the French uh, of European leagues. And then you come to a, a relatively new league and relatively new club. What was the experience like that for you coming to Canada? It was obviously a great experience, uh, successful as well. I was uh, lucky to be a part of this group, of this uh, uh, club uh, organization as well. Uh, I've been uh, welcomed as a, a part of the, the city, of the club, and I'm very thankful for that. I'm very proud to be a part of, uh, of all this uh, success uh, as a player with uh, Toronto FC. And coming from Europe, coming from Marseille, uh, I wanted to share my experience as a player. I was uh, 33 years old when I came, and uh, it was a good timing for me to to have a new experience. And this one is was was very different, uh, obviously, uh, from what I've uh, I've done in a, and I've been uh, through in 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 Europe and in France. But it, it has been a, a wonderful experience for me. A lot of success and. I wanted to build something and coming from uh, like the bottom, I can say, because uh, it was the first time uh, TFC uh, qualified for um, playoffs, the first time, uh, the first season uh, I've played for TFC. And then step by step, uh, the first final uh, against Seattle and then the the revenge against uh, Seattle was uh, absolutely uh, amazing for, for me to to yeah to be a part of this uh, experience and uh, this adventure. Benoit, we, we have to speak about that 2017 year because the, the year that we first won the championship, there was a lot of disappointment the year before because 
I know that as a group and as a club, we felt that we played well enough to win that that final. And then obviously on penalty kicks is a very, very difficult way to lose. But the team came back um, in a, a kind of real mental state that they were going to clear everything up out of their heads and go through and, and be mentally strong to, to win the next final. But I have to say personally, the Montreal game, TFC Montreal series was probably the best atmosphere I've ever been at in North America. And I've been to a few games. I've played in a few games, been as a supporter, even going to Montreal, the old, uh, what's it called, the Olympic uh, Stadium there was a fantastic experience, not the result. But the whole game where you obviously scored the header as well, what a fantastic experience. What was that like compared to, to like a European game? I'm not talking about in the Velodrome in Marseille where you had 60,000, but it was comparable, I thought, to a European night, uh, that the most close we would ever see in North America. Yes, I totally agree, uh, Danny. Uh, something was weird for me uh, coming from uh, Europe to um, North America uh, when you, we played uh, um, away. There was a, a very few amount of uh, fans And I was not used to to have this stadium uh, empty. Uh, uh, I always uh, used to play uh, in front of a full stadium, obviously, but with uh, our fans. And uh, when we play for Toronto, we have uh, fans only when we play against uh, Columbus, maybe New York uh, City, New York Red Bull a little bit, and uh, obviously uh, in Montreal. So the atmosphere is uh, totally... um, comparable uh, when we play this uh, kind of game, this rivalry and uh, the atmosphere uh, is there in, uh, in Montreal, but uh, in Toronto in front of our fans were, uh, was amazing. And uh, this, uh, these memories, uh, I keep them in, in my heart and my uh, head and uh, it's very big memories in my uh, entire career. For, for sure. What was it like, Ben, while transitioning from, you know, coming to the end of your career? You obviously you could feel that coming like we all do. But transitioning from that to, you know, everyday life, getting involved, still involved in football. But uh, how was that for you? I felt good with that because I understood that coming uh, from Europe at 33, uh, most of my uh, career was uh, behind me and not in front of me. But I wanted to share my experience and uh, MLS in Canada in Toronto, uh, especially with the, that, that uh, project, wanted to be uh, one of the biggest clubs in North America. Uh, was a perfect fit for me because uh, I wanted to help the club to, to improve young players and bring my, uh, my experience. Either I'm on the field, or on the bench, or in the stands, trying to help the, the team, uh, trying to... To, to talk to the, the young players and help the, the team to, to perform and to be better. That, that's all I wanted to do uh, coming uh, from uh, Europe. And I feel like I, I helped uh, the, the team to, to, to make it. And uh, these three years for me have been uh, amazing. Yeah. As, as a European joining Toronto FC, was it difficult to emerge from the shadow that was Danny Decchio? especially uh, because of his uh, technique with the header (laughs) yeah exactly 
Yeah. Oh, I thought, you meant, I, I thought you meant actually his shadow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, you know the goal that Benoit scored against Montreal. That was the only time he scored with his head in his career. Was it really? <laughs> yeah. I watched a lot of videos from uh, from Danny to make it. <laughs> yeah, all, all 14 games. Yeah, yeah. must have taken a long time. <laughs> and a half, actually, Sean. Oh, sorry. All right, fair enough. Um, so, so when you recommend to, to a young French player that coming to MLS might be a, a good career choice to develop, to, to learn, or would you still say, you know, if you can stay in France, you know, cut your teeth there before before making a move? You have to think about a lot of things, you know. I'm not uh, another person. My my uh, my feeling at that moment when I came, it was a good timing for me. But for Seba, we have a lot of talk about that with Seba Jovinko. He was younger than me. Uh, he had a different contract as well, different uh, way of mind. And what he, he's done for the club and for the league uh, was amazing. Uh, not a lot of people at uh, his level came... Uh, uh, at his uh, prime, uh, but for French players, I think uh, there will be uh, more and more French players uh, uh, to come uh, to, to MLS, uh, especially because of the new uh, CBA. Uh, the contract is comparable uh, at what a uh, lot of players uh, can have in uh, first division, second division. So I think it's it's good for the league as well to uh, develop uh, that. Uh, that aspect of the of the of the game behind the scene because uh, it's not a secret. Uh, if you want to to have more players from uh, from Europe, you have to to pay them uh, as much as they can pay in uh, mm-hmm. in Europe, and that's it. But the the, the experience is really different, and uh, a lot of French players and uh, players from Europe uh, look uh, the the MLS uh, in a different way now. Do, do you think having Thierry Henry coaching in Montreal um, this season, it seems so long ago now, doesn't it? Um, but do you think that will help bring, perhaps encourage uh, French players to, to come over and try? Yes, for sure. Thierry Henry is a, is a big name in, in Canada and US, but in France as well. So in, uh, even if uh, in the French medias, we talk a lot of uh, about, uh, sorry, about uh, Montreal, about uh, MLS because of Thierry Henry. So... Uh, uh, it could help to to bring some French player uh, to have a Thierry uh, coaching uh, Montreal. For sure. got, me, got me thinking. I mean, Henri, obviously one of the great French players of all time, but I, I think it's probably fair to say that it's either Platini or Zidane as, as the two greatest French players. Is in my opinion, who do you lean towards? Who, who's your guy? Is it Zizou or is it Platini? <laughs> I'm too young to <laughs> yeah, exactly. to say that. Yeah, I've watched uh, Platini, yes, uh, on videos, but uh, Zidane uh, for sure. Yes, I was uh, a young kid uh, watching uh, these amazing players. I was lucky to to go to a lot of games for the World Cup '98 in Stade de France because I was living just uh, close by. So I've seen uh, many games of uh, of Zidane and. Yes, for me, he's the best uh, player ever uh, for for the the French national team. But you, Craig, you're, you're much older than we are. Are, are you more a Platini guy or uh, or a Zidane guy? Easy. <laughs> That's too easy. Come on. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, Platini was. I mean, I was kind of on the. He was on the way out, right? Yeah. Eighty-six World Cup. Um. 
saw him play a few times, obviously, but it's about, you know, exposure and, and, and as well as, as often as Zidane was on television, just a fantastic talent, right? They had a good team back then as well, France. Yeah. Alain Jurette, uh, Tigana, very, very good team. And Platini, a lot of people forget how good he was, not only for, for France, but for Juve as well. Where they won a lot of titles. A very, very different type of player than Zizou, who I love as well. I love Zidane, but Platini was an extraordinary player as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that France-Germany uh, game in uh, was it 82, wasn't it? It's was 82, I think it was, in, in the semi-finals, I believe. I mean, I don't remember 82 that well, but I've seen it since. And it is one of the great games, you know, of all time, isn't it? When the goalkeeper smashed the French striker, huh? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Almost killed him. Horrendous. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that challenge. I mean, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> goalkeeper, exactly. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you a quick question as well because we spoke about Deschamps and um, there's another coach that you played under that is getting a lot of um, love but a lot of attention as well and that, that is Bielsa and I know he, he coaches in a totally different way than Deschamps he's very tactically astute sometimes a little bit old school with his methods what would you say to, to to us as a player that played under Bielsa? Because he's been successful in some countries, but he hasn't been successful in other countries in championship with Leeds now. But uh, what was the difference between the two as a player, from a player's point of view? It was uh, totally different. Uh, and uh, Bielsa is, uh, is different from all uh, the coaches I've known. Uh, his nickname is El Loco, the crazy guy. So I think he's really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yes, the way he coach, uh, it's, it's difficult to say, but very, very uh, different from uh, all the coaches. The way he communicate as well with the medias, with the fans, with the players. Uh, is way different from uh, what uh, I've known uh, with uh, Deschamps and all the, the other coach. Uh, is he is he different in a way? Like uh, he speaks differently to the media as he what he would speak in his personality in the dressing room. Are those two completely different things? No, I think uh, his uh, personality is different, and the way he, he, he behave, his behavior is uh, is different as well. Uh, difficult to to describe him. Uh, but as a as a coach, uh, he, as he, sp- he speaks Spanish, he, he needed a translator. Uh, so the the message was not uh, as clear as uh, you know when you you speak the same language. Uh, so this is uh, one thing, and then uh, the way he, he thinks soccer is is different. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's very very different. Yeah, I'll say this though. I mean, no matter what happens in the next few weeks or months, I really hope they find a way to get Leeds back into the Premier League, just for a number of reasons. But I want to see Bielsa in the Premier League for a season. I think it'd be just entertainment value alone, it'd be worthwhile. <laughs> a local in the Premier League, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been a few. It's been a few of them, hasn't it? Is he a yeller and screamer in the dressing room? Yes, his behavior is really strange. Strange. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, he, he deserves his uh, nickname. El Loco is Loco. is crazy. Yeah, yeah. And the way you think about soccer, uh, t- tactically, I can say that 
is is waiting for the the other team to to get set and then uh, adapt his uh, his tactic and his positioning uh, uh, with the the opposition the opponent. If uh, the opponent play with two striker, for instance, he wants to play with three center back to have two players marking and one uh, covering. You know. If uh, the other team is has only one uh, striker, he wants to play with uh, two center back, and you, he can adapt uh, from one game to another game and within the game as well. So that's why he plays uh, frequently with uh, a defensive midfielder who is able to play as a center back as well, and he, who is able, able to to move on forward or backward to, to help the defense or to have uh, one man uh, uh, extra man uh, in the midfield Benoit I know you've coached uh, you've done television work as well um, what, what are you going to be working on once football returns to France um, what are you hoping to get into from, from a, you know, staying in that football world I want to stay involved in, uh, in soccer in France uh, I'm helping as well uh, young kids to, to develop in a small club uh, where uh, I used to play when I was young. Uh, I like it. Uh, players' development more than uh, coaching uh, first team because uh, I feel more comfortable to to help uh, young players to develop than to to prepare a, a team to, to win uh, the game, uh, the next game always, and to, to, yeah, to manage... Uh, First team, I feel more comfortable with young players and working for TV is new for me. I've done that for uh, one year now, but uh, I like it and I'm very excited uh, each time I go uh, all around Europe to, to commentate some, some games, to see a big stadium, big, uh, big names. And it's very uh, exciting yeah, for me to, to do that, uh, that, that job. If you hear about any other jobs available, uh, let us know. <laughs> our, French, sure. our French is minimal. <laughs> but we'll give it a college try. Hey, listen, if we, can, if we can do television, anyone can, anywhere. So, uh... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, well, listen, thank you so much. You know, you really were one of the most respected players at Toronto FC. And uh, I know the club misses you. I'm sure you're welcome back anytime. You're definitely welcome back in our podcast anytime. So thank you so much for this. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Benoit. Take care. See you soon. Thanks, pal. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. That is MLS champion, league champion, Benoit Cheru. AD, speaking of TFC, uh, back training this past week individually. We spoke to Ozo, Jonathan Osorio, um, last week. Have you been up there? How is it? How is the uh, the progress? Yeah, it's pretty good. Coincidentally, I was there on Friday, coincidentally, um, just to have a look at the process because there's obviously a lot of stuff and moving parts which is going on to get the players onto the field, but they're having to go through individual screening prior to arriving at the training ground. The training facility is closed. So the players are arriving in the car park. They have to stay in their cars before getting called out. Then they have to walk individually for a screening process. They will be interviewed by our uh, one of our medics, then they'll enter the field area where they're assigned to a quadrant. And uh, I was just overlooking um, some of the training on Friday, and then Jason Ben asked me to come and come and helping out. So I was actually working with Oso and Richie Larriere and Big Julian Dunn, who's an ex academy guy as well, and just going through 
So individually you were or as a, gr- as a group? So we, we had them on a quadrant. The, the field is split up into right. a quadrant and we could walk in select or kind of like allotted lanes in between the quadrants. Okay. Is it is it ball work or just fitness at this point? It's a little bit of both. So they've been sent uh, programs, which they can do, and we actually timed it so all four players were working and doing exactly the same thing at the same time. So I could, uh, myself and JB were there. Greg was, was hovering around both uh, fields as well, just to give some encouragement. But it was basically dribbling, some slalom stuff, stop and turns, Probably as much to do with the social aspect, isn't it? Just get everybody back, have a you know, seeing your mates again. Well, the, the key thing as well, Craig, you can see them from afar, but you can't really socialize or talk with them. You can shout from your quadrant or just say hi and stuff like that. <laughs> but there's no really hanging around or lingering around and, and socializing. You basically do your session. You have an allotted time of, of an hour. And then you put all your cleats on, you collect all your cones, your, your soccer balls, and then you have to move off for a different exit because another four players are coming on. So it's very, very well organized. The club have done an excellent thing. Um, but it's tough for the players, I can tell, because they want to socialize. They want to see their mates. They want to they want to see how they're doing. It's just a normal part, I think, of everyday living. But uh, they understand it, and they were, they were working pretty hard. But we start with a second team tomorrow, so... We'll see how well it goes with the, the younger guys. Is TFC disinfecting its players' balls like Germany? Yes. Everything. So who, whose job is that? That is our equipment. <laughs> I know you'd like to do that, Tom, wouldn't you? No, I really wouldn't, actually. You're I'll a, do it. You're a giggling, <laughs> you're a giggling little schoolboy. You really are, Sean. I know. That's just Forrest. You come on. Forrest was laughing, too. Come on. Yeah, of course. He's just an older, experienced vet schoolboy. <laughs> he's a prefect <laughs> what's that he um, was a prefect I don't so even know what a prefect is in, in, in English schools I'm not sure if they're still there now probably not but it used to be that at a certain age like 18 or whatever um, if you became a prefect you'd have certain rights and more power and you could like order the, the small lowly scum around a little bit more it's basically a, 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 a term of authority oh, so right. just, kind of, just kind of moving in Feeding the uh, class distinction in England, you mean? Absolutely. What, exactly what it is, yeah. Ah, I see. Hey, Craig, it was only at private school, so I, we, I've never heard of it. No, we're, we're pretty comprehensive. I went, I went to, uh, there's a golf club in Ipswich and had a meeting to uh, be a member there. Yeah. That was pretty young at Ipswich Town. And they do an interview with you, and you got these old crony golf guys, and they ask you, what your father did. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I went, he's a yeah. fireman. They went, oh, <laughs> fireman. They, 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 were, they were so excited. My dad was a fireman. And then they were chatting going on. And I, under, I could understand that. No, no, they thought he was a farmer. They thought I said farmer. <laughs> not. <laughs> I corrected them. And uh, I never got a membership. Jesus. Because of your man. Well, well saving would, lives. I would never have got in as well because my dad was a butcher and a debt collector. There's <laughs> a cabbie, isn't it? Cabbie yeah, as well. Yeah, later on, like like last couple of years. So, I, can, I can see a dickie of being a debt collector, can't you, Craig? Yeah. Holy crap. Intimidating. <laughs> Ditch, Ditch was a, he was a debt collector on the pitch. 
exactly. <laughs> hey, did you see that Vinnie Jones challenge uh, that was an anniversary on the McMahon at the? Oh yeah, it's brilliant. Great. What, what happened? Final against Liverpool. Yeah, like first thirty first. seconds, wasn't it? Off the kickoff, yeah. When he crushed my mind. Crushed yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. So, so what was this? This is. It was just an anniversary. So I saw it on Twitter and I was just like, wow. I mean, like that's. And it wasn't even a card, was it? I don't think. No. Oh, just got yeah. a little. Hey, stop that. Because it was literally <laughs> in the first 15 seconds of the game. Well, really? yeah, but today, that guy, I mean, that's a 10 game suspension. And I mean, what would you, what, what would a guy get like that? He's trying to break his leg. Yeah, clearly. Absolutely. Is a suspension for sure and probably jail time. And then McMahon got him back a few, I don't know if it was a few years later with kind of the same same thing where he wasn't looking Vinnie Jones and then he turned into him and knocked him to the ground and <laughs> finished up with an elbow follow through and Vinnie Jones even said, yeah, he, he caught him. But he's telling him to get up, right? Because McMahon jumped right, right up. Yeah. 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 Well, you know what? Vinnie Jones could play Mr. Dickio in the movie as the debt collector, couldn't he? Could do, yeah. For sure. Be a, be a good could play him. Yeah. <laughs> so what I mean, happened when... McMahon was a tough player as well, by the way. Who? was very tough, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure he was. Tough cookie. But he... he Four forces in that team. Yeah. Well, you think Vinnie Jones, how old he was at that time? He was young. Yeah. He was trying to send a message, Craig. That's what he used to do in those days, didn't he? First challenge, <laughs> take him out. The referee yeah. would always allow it. Yeah. They won the bloody match, didn't they? So... Yeah. Paid off in the yeah. end. Yeah, and today, I mean, he would have been sent off for thirty seconds. I mean, he wouldn't, yeah. he couldn't survive in the modern game. It's just not a oh, chance. It'd be, be lambasted in the media for being a thug and a yeah. criminal, and it's just terrible for the kids today to see such terrible. Are you talking about Deke? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. So, what happens uh, if, if someone couldn't pay their debt? What would Mister Dickio do to them? Break I, didn't, I didn't get involved or ask questions, Craig. Uh, Charms, really? But you can yeah. assume it's pretty ugly, though, right? You come from a family of thugs, is what I'm saying here. No, not at all. My dad was a butcher until he got to England, and then he had to become a debt collector. Well, was a debt collector a butcher? Was that some some kind of synergy there, you know? Yeah, but maybe. Maybe that's yeah. the, you probably put a few through the, uh, the meat grinder. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sweetie Todd. <laughs> yeah. That was probably, a nickname. Probably, uh, probably took his little uh, chopping board knife out with him a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> hey, have you guys been watching that Barcelona um, series on Netflix? I have yeah. not. Is it good? First one, sorry. First one. Yeah, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's interesting. Like, Messi doesn't offer much in the way of, you know, outside of the football, of course, in the way of what, what he's saying. Or, But Luis Suarez is great. He's yeah. still in the show, actually. Smart guy. Well-spoken. And, uh, you know, obviously a bit of a team clown, but it's just interesting getting inside that room. And, you know, it's not the, the boss of 2011, but it's still a really good team. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool how they've got that access as well, uh, Charles. Yeah, it's excellent. It's really good. Conservative yeah. players are not comfortable with it as well. And uh, I think we remember there was a, a Liverpool one from back in the day. There was a Man City one from a couple of years ago. Um, and you can tell, even with the Sunderland Till I Die one, there's certain players that were in... Yeah, that just wanted no part like of Lee it. Lee Cannonball, who's a big part of that team, yeah. wasn't even in it, was he? And I think Messi's kind of similar, but I think Messi has been told that because it's the Barca show or like this behind the scenes with Barca, you have to be in it at some stage. But he, he doesn't really do any interviews. I mean, the first one I saw was Piquet, 
Suarez was in it a lot, and it was only because Suarez and Messi are best friends. Yeah, I didn't realize that. They're really close. Yeah. It was cool like to see just a different kind of uh, fans as well, the perspective of fans. There's a, a guy that's uh, blind. that the I think he, he got hurt in an accident, didn't he, Shams? Yeah, I think he was a, a firefighter or something, wasn't yeah. he? And it was really cool to see that side of things and – how they set up for the derby, their classical against uh, Real Madrid, where they won 5 0. But some yeah. good stuff, really good stuff. I want to see the Maradona one still, the Napoli. Oh, that's we outstanding. Haven't, we haven't really that. talked about Sunderland until I die with you, really. No, you know what? We're going to get a Sunderland person on for that one because, uh, yeah, that's, that's a really. What, you, good what are your initial thoughts on it? Like, I, I, I thought from a, a Canadian sports fan who, you know, has never seen or been to a, you know, kind of understanding what a club can be. I thought it was a pretty good idea. Yeah. I mean, Ipswich, I mean, obviously it was different kind of uh, class, culturally. It wasn't, it was working class, but not at the level of Sunderland. But holy shit, it's amazing what it means to people, eh? Yeah. And I thought, I thought I did a good job of doing that. It's, you know what, when I first kind of watched it, it was uh for me, being an ex-player, that was was probably my best time as a player as well in my career. It was it was very sad for me, Craig. It was really sad for me because I know how much that club means to people up there. And there's a lot of working class. There's a lot of low-income people up there. There's a lot of people that put literally 75, sorry, 50 to 75% of their wages or their, their income into that club whether it be through tickets, whether it be through traveling, uh, match day, just all kinds of stuff because they're, they're so ingrained through their ancestors, their grandparents that, that love the club, their uncles, their aunties, their mum and dad. It's, it's, it just bites you. Like, you can't get away from it. You ask a lot of them as well. They'll want to get away from it, but they can't. That Saturday, being in, like, involved in having to go to the game and some of them don't even want to go to the game no more Craig but they feel that it's it's such a big community club there and that's why it was really sad for me because we had such good times up there and it's a fantastic club to play for yeah it's not even it's not that big a place either really is it really small it's it's a lovely little place on the coast but it just it's just sad to see its present predicament and how they're being run and, and what's going on with, with, with the club. That's why it was I, I found it. I found it educational because I, I knew it was a big club, obviously, but I always thought it was very tiny compared to, to Newcastle. But actually, obviously, it's a, it's a bit smaller than Newcastle, but not, not considerably. It's still way bigger than I thought it actually was. And, you know, I know you always mentioned, Deitch, on, on the shows, the, the community aspect. And I thought they really, really put that across very well. Um, yeah. Just what it means to these people who, and, and as much as they're they're bitter and angry about certain elements of the club and management and ownership, they really want that club to do well. Which sounds like a dumb comment, but a lot of clubs like Newcastle fans turned against their club, and I understand why. But even when this team was dropping down divisions, it seemed there's a real love there. You know, they they, they really did believe in the crest mm. in the front as opposed to the guy you know running the ship. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I remember as a player going up to the Northeast, it was the same club, I'm sure, as a Londoner going, like, it was Middlesbrough, Sunderland, Newcastle. Those were really tough places. And they're old stadiums, too, like where Roker Park. It just, oh. Yeah. Like, the just, coast there, windy, rainy, oh, 
that, that was the test for a lot of players, and we knew that coming up there. But we, we obviously, when I was playing there, we moved into the new stadium, the Stadium of Light, which yeah. is a fantastic stadium as well. But it was, it's a tough place, as you said, to go up there, especially a midweek game even, Craig. You're asking players to come from down south or middle of the country to go up there. But even for away games, and I'm telling you this, guys, as, as I've experienced it, we, we would travel in the championship or the Premier League, and we would take seven to 8,000 fans away with us for every game. Yeah. In London on a weekend, and sometimes yeah. we took nine to 10,000 fans with us. Yeah, you know it made it made for a great atmosphere because when we were at Ipswich and if they brought in all these away supporters like Newcastle, Sunderland, and Middlesbrough, it, the atmosphere was just dynamite. Yeah, we're gonna well, we're gonna get either a, a, a fan on maybe maybe from one of their um, forums that I still speak to, or we'll try and get an ex player on that has been through it as well, and that's still- great. Well, even the owner, I forget his name now, right now, um, but he, he's obviously from the South. And he yeah. was saying how he just really underestimated the, the, the fan love of that club. And that was his most impressed by. Um, yeah. But, you know, if, if you're at any club right now, Craig, if you're at Ipswich right now and, and Netflix or Amazon come, come knocking on the door saying, we want to cover you, I think it's a really smart thing to do, don't you? It, it's building a brand globally. And I think it's just given that insight into a club that otherwise you wouldn't get. So as much as it might be, I mean, no one expected the Black Cats to, to descend like they did when they first started shooting that series, the first series. Mm. Um, but <clears throat> wouldn't you be saying, yeah, please come here, cover us. Let, let's, oh, yeah, free, for sure. It's free promotion. Yeah, it's free promotion. Uh, I mean, I like the fact that they, you know, after they fell from the Premier League, um, that they, they covered it as well and just the hardships of a club that's been relegated and they get relegated again, <laughs> you know. And, you know, I wonder, Danny, too, you know, knowing the Northeast like you do, with the Saudi situation and taking over potentially Newcastle, I don't think that deal is done yet, but it's still on the table, right? Yeah. That is so far – they're so far from the heart and soul of the Northeast. And – by the way, does the Premier League need any, need any more of this investment from <laughs> frickin' oil money? How can they pass the fit and proper persons test? Right. Really? Like, come I mean, on. My God. You're basically, countries are buying your frickin' teams right underneath your noses, and you're allowing it. Like, I like the German model. They don't allow any foreign buyers. Like, it's keep it all German. But the Premier League is becoming so far from English. Yeah. I mean, Man United hate their owners. Yeah. Arsenal hate their owners. Man City, yeah, well, they'll, they'll tolerate them. And, get, you know, who cares about human rights and all that? Fuck it, we'll win trophies. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they'll, they'll rather have this, this nation with really questionable human rights records over Mike Ashley, who admittedly was a terrible owner. Don't get me wrong, I understand that. But they're, a lot of fans, not all of them in fairness, but a lot of fans are prepared to say, yeah, get out of here, Mike. We want these guys. Just shows the fickle nature of fans, right? Yeah, and how deep their pockets. If Ashley was throwing in a billion dollars into the team and they were winning, they would, yeah, okay, he's from London, but okay, we'll like him because. Speaking of London, did you find that when you went to Sunderland, you had to prove yourself even more being a Londoner? Yeah. Yeah. 100%, yeah. Yeah. But going back to the new foreign owners coming in, are we missing the fact here that the old owners, and we go back to Sheepshanks at Ipswich, Bob Murray, who was at Sunderland, um, 
Harding that was at Chelsea, certain certain chairmen and owners from back in the day, they did the actual great job. They had the incentive to say, okay, we're out of this now because the big money's coming where we can get a nice sum for our club, but we're not going to be able to invest what the Premier League or what the TV want us to invest in in these clubs from now on because the owners coming in are basically vetoed by the TV people and the Prem who want even more money spent on these Premier League clubs. And you're right, the clubs have lost their identity, in my opinion, Craig. They've I lost agree. Identity. That's why Sunderland is so crucial still because they have that community aspect still. You go to Liverpool now, Shams and Anfield, 60% are Scousers, like born and bred Scousers. And Liverpool is a massive, massive club as well. Man United on a match day, I would even go as low as 40 to 50%. Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Like, so a lot of these clubs have not only lost their identity, they've lost their community aspect as well because... Well, they've become franchises. Yeah, there's no connection between the owners like there used to be back in the day when me and Craig played. I'm, uh, I'm not using this as a, oh, when we used to play back in the old days, everything was good. I'm just saying that the club have lost an important aspect which really, really pushed on that local community drive and love for the local club. Yeah, well, football's, football's become... Local, weren't they? Like, even uh, Walker at Blackburn sunk all his money in, won a title, bought that title. Yeah. A lot of good things for Black and Football Club, but it's still a tiny market, and that's why they've, without that investment with Walker after he died, for the long term, they weren't successful. It's a tough... And then now after this pandemic, what's going to happen to those lower teams? And then the money, we're talking about billionaires are running football now. They're the ones that are going to make the decisions at the end of the day and say, hey, let's have a super league down the road, you know? And Oh, yeah, it's, it's coming. It's been discussed again this past week, you know, it's yeah. been top of it again. And uh, to yeah. me, there goes the soul. I mean, what, what it's become, football's become this vehicle for the, these states, not even business companies, states, and their, their overseas brands. That's what yeah. they've become, right? It yeah. is so far... Well, it's whitewashing, sport washing, or whatever you want to call it. They can give a positive narrative on a very negative situation in their own country and any bad media. It's unbelievable. And it'll be interesting to see if Newcastle support that because if they don't support Mike Ashley, how can they support that? But they will because they're football fans. And, and when they okay, well, listen, we're going to bring in Wolf Zaha for £70 million. <laughs> and we're going to bring in right. Neymar. Oh, suddenly, there'll be all these... Geordie's wearing sure. outfits. What happened in Paris? It happened <laughs> yeah, in Paris. exactly, right? Same yeah. freaking thing. It's the key thing is- here as well, guys, and I was listening to um, uh, uh, an Italian podcast talking about the lower league teams in, in Italy, and there's a situation now where these big-time owners and people with money, foreign investors, are being offered lower league teams to purchase them because they're, they're basically going to go bankrupt or they're going out of business with the incentive to actually having a big club in Serie A, but also buying three or four of the smaller clubs, whether it be in Italy, whether it be in Belgium, France. As England. opposed to having reserve leagues and stuff? Exactly. So they're, they're starting to try and get the process of, okay, you can... You can only, in England, there's a rule that you can only be involved or own one club. That's right, Craig, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Not to say that your investors or people within that company can... Yeah, that includes players. You can't have multiple players. ownership of one player. Remember the Tevez situation? 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sheffield United does, that's for sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe that's the, the, you know, how the game will change moving forward. You know, these kind of conglomerates owning more than one team. And what happens when those teams start ascending through the leagues? You can't have two teams in one division owned by the same owners, mm-hmm. right? I don't know what it's like in, in baseball or basketball or stuff like that, but is there multiple owners from different sports? No, I don't think so. I mean, MLS uh, and the North, old North American Soccer League used to have multiple. Remember, MLS had uh, several own, guy owned, what's his name? Uh, um, yeah, Hunt. Mom- yeah, he owned uh, three, three or four teams and supported them, right? Well, MLSC are probably uh, one of. One of the only organizations that own multiple sport franchises within their company. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's any other ones similar to MLSE. You got New England, the Patriots are owned by the Revolution. The oh, Trump. you mean within the city? Because you got Cronky who owns LA Rams, Arsenal. Then you got well, John Henry, Henry right? Owns uh, obviously the Red Sox and Liverpool. Um, yeah. I'm talking about it happens. In, it happens. In the, in the oh, actual. Right. Not no. within the same sport, I don't think. No, MLSC, are, uh, they're a giant. And... Remember they were talking about buying Leeds once upon a time? Years ago now. That was a big rumor. This is back in the mid-2000s. Yeah, so they're, they're looking... By Leeds, Sunderland. So what, what, what team, what club in world football, world sports, let's put it that way, would you want to see covered by Netflix next? You've seen City. Go ahead. That's a good one. I like yeah. that. Who, who would interest you? I think the smaller clubs are almost more interesting than the big clubs. I think you'd have to do it by sport. Like for me, my NFL team are the uh, Oakland Raiders, now the Las Vegas Ra- Raiders, and they're an absolute gong show. So they would be pretty good to follow on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Raiders story would be good. they got a lot of characters. It's all about... The characters, really, too, right? Yeah. Well, the, old New York, the old New York Cosmos documentary, Once in a Lifetime, fabulous football documentary. Are you watching The uh, the Last Dance right now about the, the Bulls and Jordan? Yeah. Uh, well, I started watching the first one, yeah. I mean, it's obviously, really, I will. It's really good, right? But that's a prime example. The, these characters who are driving this thing. And I love the way that they're looking at it from the point of view of the last season, the last dance, but they're using that as their, their vehicle to go back in time. And, you know, how did Jordan get into the league? You know, Rob, as I watched last night, it's fascinating stuff. It's so well done. How crazy uh, just was that? Just how, what's that? How crazy was Rodman? <laughs> he was pretty crazy. How would he, <laughs> he says, coach, uh, I'm going to need to take a couple of days off a long week. 48 now. hours, yeah. During the season, Craig, let me get to your, your gaffer and saying, Gaffer, I'm feeling a little bit down at the moment. I just want to go to a, uh, just going to pop into London for the weekend. You fucking what? <laughs> and and Jordan goes to Let him do it. Just let him do it. He needs it. Forty-eight hours. They couldn't find him after fucking seventy-two hours. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even ask. You just wouldn't ask. No, it just is pointless. Shows you the difference, huh? The difference. Yeah. Yeah. But just, I mean, Jordan, you know, I came here in 1990 right in his prime. So, you know, I was never a huge NBA fan, but I watched the NBA because I watched Michael Jordan. And I don't think there's been, there hasn't been anyone like him since in any sport, I don't think, has there? Really, a guy that not only is the biggest brand, but also the best player. You know, you can say Beckham was the biggest brand for a long time, but he was never the best player. Yeah. LeBron, I guess, is close, but he's not Jordan, let's be honest. 
Ooh, there's George a couple. as what? As a player, you mean? Or is no, it no, a... the, 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 who combined both? Who was that oh, brand, combined brand uh, no, as well I mean, as being the best player? Yeah. It's easy to get lost in the generations. Uh, it is, sure. You know, but... Who would be the closest in football? I was thinking, like, the, the original Ronaldo was close. He was the best player in world football. I tell you what, Pele was unbelievable. Like, look what Pele did to the game. Yeah, he changed it. Changed it. They got, like, five goals on video that he's ever fucking scored. And it, but it, was it, he a brand, though? I mean, I, I mean, it's before my time, really, right? Was he a, it was before sports became brands, right? Right, so, but he was he was one of the he was probably the, who else was bigger than him when he when he trans, just transformed the whole North American soccer league by bringing him to New York in a bad way because everybody else thought all we have to do is bring a star over and we fill these freaking massive stadiums. So overcame Rodney Marsh and George Best, and it just went on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. Vancouver, yeah. Weimark, and all those guys just. Yeah. Thomas Wrongen. <laughs> Thomas Wrongen, yeah. <laughs> Cruyff, obviously. Yeah, yeah so, Cruyff as well. Yeah, yeah. They so, came from all over the world. The bet, you know, the, and it, uh, I used to love talking to, uh, to Brian Budd about this. You know, Budgie, you know, there's no name Canadian player. You know, he was a, a caps for Canada, but obviously not a great player. But playing alongside George Best and, and, and Pele and these guys, and his stories were incredible. I mean, what a time to be alive. You're a footballer playing in that league for those those few years. And you had to have two North Americans playing on the field, yeah, the, the, no the matter what. Guys, which is how he got in there, right? Yeah. And he's full. Yeah, I wasn't good enough to play in this team, he'd say. Yeah, but you could just, you just run you to the ground, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> We got to get we got to get Thomas Rogan on for for a, a little uh, podcast to tell us about them stories. I remember one story where he says, "I'm this young Dutch guy. I'm playing on a team with Cruyff and some other guys. We go out at night and we're in New York and we go to uh, Studio Fifty Four. Is that the night? Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, yeah. Said, this lineup, this queue that's going around the block, and I'm there behind Cruyff and and was having a smoke and we're going past the guest list crew and he says I'm with I don't know who was playing back then but big hitters and he said I'm just nestling behind Cruyff and I'm going through and we're knocking over Barbara Streisand and we're knocking over <laughs> Ricky we're elbowing people and they're looking who the fuck is that little guy at the back of Cruyff's pack there and he's like oh yeah should I play with uh, the Rowdy <laughs> so we gotta get him on because he's got some great stories from yeah. back in the days yeah, Remember we did that Fox show together and he's uh freaking we do the whole twenty like minute segments and then the producer jumps in and says, We've got to do that again. And I'm like, why is that? Well Thomas keeps calling you Greg. <laughs> Greg. I'm like, Yeah, because he's freaking Dutch, man. It's like it's okay. I don't care. He's gotta call you Craig. So he goes, I am calling him Greg. <laughs> Do you remember those round tables at uh, Oh, Fox? fuck. Oh. Those days with oh, they were so much fun. And it would have to, I mean, he's, he's, got a, he's a great, obviously, great football man, great stories, knows the game so well, but he gets certain things wrong every now and again, just terms and names, right? But uh, it was just so much fun. It always flew by those shows. It was classic, classic time. Yeah, Craig on them round tables a couple of times. Yeah, he was- did, yeah. Yeah, exactly. When he <laughs> graced us with his presence. Greg. I hope you got your jobs. Yeah, you did. And you help us lose our jobs. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, remember Scott Woodgate, he was put in charge of that project, right? Yeah, former Sportsnet boss. Yeah, so he obviously he's like, 
comes to me and he's like, who should do it? So I, I said, not Dickio, not Charmin. <laughs> and then, and as Scott Woodgate would do, he friggin' hired you both. <laughs> yeah, and, and we killed the station. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It lasted sure about a year. That's too bad. That was a good, really good gig. Yeah, man, it was it was a lot of fun. That was I remember Dunlop was the first guy on air they hired there, and because I was doing the score, it was during the whole score for, uh, score sports net acquisition, and Paul B had to work. I think it was like thirty six days straight. I think he worked and, and wasn't paid overtime, if I remember, and was just burning out. And then uh, I think they hired Ben Ennis. Um, yeah, Ben was on us as well. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, they, they, were, they were pretty fun times. But Dunlop, yeah, he earned his stripes, let me tell you, on that show yeah, in the early I, days. I understand. And I'm not saying this because we're, we're not working on TV or anything at the moment, so no uh, sour grapes. But I just can't understand how there's not a football show, a specific weekly football show on any of the main channels where – a group of guests, they, they do it in, in the U.S., where a group of guests, whether it be ex-Canadian internationals, uh, uh, a host, um, uh, an ex-player from Montreal, Vancouver, whoever it is, comes on and just shoots the ship for an hour. It, it baffles me how there's not that. We have... Yeah, but, see, Deej, you're completely... You're not thinking about it. We have everything, like a talk show about everything. Even dogs, we have a talk show about. <laughs> Have a yeah, you're not thinking about it from Rogers and Bell, who own TSN and Sportsnet. They're not thinking about creating, producing. They're just thinking about dollars and cents, and it, that's going to cost money, and how we get it back. And, oh, no, it might be good investment. It's going to help the sport. They don't give two shits about that. No, the first question is, okay, how, how, what money is coming in? Yeah, coming in as opposed yeah. to let's build hey, something. Hey, here. Deech, if we went to Sports Center or TSN independently and said we want to put the show up, and they say fine, here's the hour slot, you pay us X amount for that slot, we would get the show, but we would have to go out and get advertising and revenue. Yeah. For, you know, we what could I mean? buy time. Yeah, we could buy right. time. But they would yeah. definitely do the show. And I'm not even talking about us. I'm just talking about. No, you. I know. I'm just. It should be. Us. <laughs> We, we have how long till we have the World Cup in this country, guys? Yeah, six years. Twenty six. Yeah, six years. Yeah. Okay. Boring another pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it just baffles me. It's something that I scratch my head about. Well, listen, I'll tell you what: if, if there is going to be a, a weekly soccer show on the network, it ain't going to involve us now, is it? So, thanks, fellas, for that. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> 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 All right, boys. I think we're out of time. Uh, Wonga's been very quiet today. So, so's Jeff. But um, I've enjoyed the silence personally. <laughs> I can chime in anytime I there want. You there Talk is. To you. What do you got to say, Wonga? What do you got to say for yourself? I, I say, if you're listening on the pod, Craig's hair is growing in. It looks looks a little better. So, I think you should show the fellas. Um, Danny Dicchio's beard looks sensational still. Two weeks after it being dyed. He Thank looks you. like a character from Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> and uh, Sharms, I have to say, looks so pied out. I think if he I has another pie, pie, he I will am. look at him. He looks like Andy Cap's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Cap's shit? <laughs> well, look at this hair, though. I mean, it's out of control now. Dude, it's Andy Cap. Yeah, look. Look at my hair as well. Jesus. I've got these wings <laughs> coming out here now. Look at this. Uh, buzz it, Sean. Buzz it. 
you know and, uh, and to anybody who's listening from Rogers and Bell, we're still open to some conversation. Well, you know what? I'm so naive, right? So I'm thinking, I'm so naive. That's yeah, your I'm, problem. See, you, see. Now we'll do our own thing, Craiger. We'll got <laughs> we got other things going on. I'm naive because I think that if I buzz my hair off, which I'd love to do, trust me, um, then I'll get a call next week from some television network wanting to hire me and i'm just like that, that's not gonna happen really let's be honest but i'll be like oh that's typical now i've bust my bloody hair you never know Charles, i did what are you talking about hey i, I didn't i didn't no but, but you can it's stand like this my, man. My, my, me, me with the bust hair like i've got a lumpy head right you've got a good nice look at your it's like a golf ball it's beautiful it's a lovely lovely head hey, i don't Charles. wear a bald head well you never know, Shams. The Food Network might be on the phone for you. Yeah, that's fair enough, yeah. Or, yeah. or the mental asylum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Losing my mind during COVID-19. <laughs> the James Sharman story. Yeah. It started so well, you know, and then the hair got long yeah. and I got ridiculed by my, my mates on Free Prime and then it all went down the shitter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're you're starting to bore me now. I'm leaving. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm pretty bored now as well. All right, boys. Well, thank you for that. It's fun. Uh, uh, thanks to Ben Showroom. Yeah, that was great, eh? Really Classy good. guy, man. Classy guy. Really, yeah, really good. Yeah, absolutely. brilliant. Really good. Great insight. Right. Is, is, is Jeff around still? Uh, for the no, Jeff's or gonna, Jeff took off because of the internet. We wanted to make sure we weren't lagging too badly. Yeah, we, we hope it's improved this week. We have internet issues, as everyone is. Um, I'm using a different mic this week as well. So we'll see how it sounds uh, when we post it in a few hours from now. So uh, you want to thank you, Deech. Craig, thank you very much. Uh, as mentioned, thanks to Benoit Cheru, Amsterdam Brewery. Enjoying the three-speed at the moment, a delicious crisp pint. Very enjoyable. Um, DeanBlundell.com, our home away from home. Thank you very much, Dean. Uh, and we'll be back, I guess, same time, same place, probably, next week, because nothing fucking's changing right now. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.